This is Between Sundays from Commons Church, a conversational podcast about finding the sacred in the everyday. I'm your host, Bobby Sockle. Here we are, the final episode in season three of Between Sundays. Look how far we've come. Hopefully you have listened to all of the conversations about meaning making so far, how we find meaning in children's literature, board games, independent films, science labs, and today, the land. A central question guiding this season is, why does it matter? All of the answers led us to places of deeper connection and big joy and open curiosity. My guest today is Nicole Scott, a teacher here in Calgary, who has spent much of her professional life in communion with Indigenous teachings through her students and with elders. Nicole directed me to an essay by Robin Wall Kimmerer called The Service Berry, where Kimmerer writes about the land as generous giver. After picking buckets of service berries, or what I know as Saskatoon berries, she says, This abundance of berries feels like a pure gift from the land. I have not earned, paid for, or labored for them. There's no mathematics of worthiness that reckons I deserve them in any way, and yet here they are, along with the sun and the air and the birds and the rain. You could call them natural resources or ecosystem services, but the robins and I know them as gifts. We both sing gratitude with our mouths full. Those are words that you can almost taste, a meditation on what it means to be connected to the land, not just in our minds or on our weekends, but connected to the land through our bodies all the time. There are two moments in the conversation where we will cut to me wandering around Weaselhead Flats here in Calgary. I went outside to notice and to connect to place and to pay attention. Nicole had enlivened my imagination to see my relationship with the land as a place for meaning-making, as a reset, as gift, as mother. We make Between Sundays on the traditional territories of the people of the Treaty 7 region of southern Alberta. The city of Calgary is also home to the Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. It is a privilege to make a podcast on this land. So let's get into it. Welcome to Between Sundays. Welcome to the conversation we've called, Why Does It Matter? Today, we are chatting with Nicole Scott, longtime commons person, an educator, a Calgarian, a partner, a mother, a daughter. Hi, Nicole. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> How else would you describe yourself? Those were some of the things as I, mm. you know, I've known you a little bit uh, in terms of roles yeah. that really stand out to me. You said partner, daughter, mm-hmm. educator, mm-hmm, mother. Yeah. I am, I spend a lot of time in the kitchen. Okay. Yeah. Recently, my son, who's almost three, has started to listen in the kitchen, which means we can bake and cook together oh. without it being a huge disaster. Okay. So I spend a lot of time in the kitchen. Okay. I spend a lot of time outside, um, kind of came to the outdoors in a, in a different way. And I really, I really see the importance of access to the outdoors. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not an expert in anything, any skill outside, but I spend as much time outside as possible with my family and with my students. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of access, I just left the cross country ski shop and gave them a lot of praise for carrying a large shoe size. <laughs> Which my husband fits. And I'm not sure that they knew that that praise was coming, but I was like, this means we can ski. And it's really hard to find um, that European Mm. size. It's hard. And they had it at an affordable price. And I just was like, this means a lot. This means that my family's going to go skiing. So 
that's what I mean by access. Yeah. Like everyone should be able to go. That's really cool. When I think about some of the first stories of your life mm-hmm. with Dev, because I worked with Dev for, I don't know, a couple of years when mm-hmm. I first got to Commons. Uh, I remember him talking about the ski, the cross country skiing mm-hmm. that you did every year. Yeah. And that feeling like, uh, just like a really important way that the two of you spent time yeah. together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is important. And so, yeah, spend a lot of time outside, mm-hmm. spend a lot of time in the kitchen. I'm a, a pretty social person, okay. which obviously has been a little bit difficult mm-hmm. in COVID. I'm part of a long standing, highly democratic and organized book club. <laughs> Where did that <laughs> book club start? Because you have yeah. a social media presence we do. with this book club. Yes. It's called Women From Away. Women From Away. So that is a line from a book, one of the best books we ever read, The Birth House. Okay which is a story about midwives in the East of Canada. And um, there's a quote in that book about how these women come from all different places and, and come together and they call them the women from away. So that's how we got a name, but nice. we're coming close to 10 years. What? And um, it was inspired, I guess, my sister is in it and my childhood friend is in it and our moms. So my mom and this friend's mom have been in a book club that they call arms akimbo, which means this. Okay. Standing arms akimbo. Okay. So for anyone listening, it's your hands on your yeah. hips um, yeah. with your elbows out. Yeah. Okay. They've had that book club since before my sister was born. So wow. nearly 40 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we just started almost okay. 10 years ago and people have come and gone yeah. because we have rules. Okay. Not everyone likes rules in book clubs. <laughs> We do the usual wine, books, retreats, all of that, but we keep it organized. I love it. And it's democratic. So every book is voted in, which means no one can complain. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how democracy works. You're not wasting your time with that. Now, there are two specific moments that really stayed with me when I was building this season and contemplating the theme Mm. land. And they are from your Instagram stories. Mm. First, now... This is also uh, a practice of memory. So I know that what I remembered isn't the truth. No, that's fair. So uh, bear with me. Uh, So you made a social media post about a moment, maybe COVID related, that was naming how disorienting this season felt. And again, Mm. maybe you didn't use those words, but that's what Mm. I carried with me from Mm -hmm. my memory. And I, I believe Paul, your son, was in the picture. And you said something like, you know, it's hard to know what to do right now, but we're staying connected to the land. Mm. And again, that quote isn't, that's not a direct quote. No, that's yeah. how it lives in my that mind. sounds right. <laughs> okay. Okay. And that really, I just stayed with me. It mm-hmm. felt, uh, like informative. Mm-hmm. It felt, um, instructive, mm-hmm. like in a really like inviting mm-hmm. way. Um, I, I just, it followed me around a bit. Mm. And the second was you mentioned something about your, um, you taking time to state an opinion. And mm. again, like, I don't remember what the big moment was. Mm. Uh, the context is blurry, but it was one of those moments when people were rushing to make statements mm. and you resisted that and took time mm. and, um, and like, introduced pause mm. and again what how is that related to land i don't know mm. seasons maybe yeah. and yeah. letting things like be dormant right. and then push up through the yeah. soil i'd it really really stayed with me mm. um which i think then became this theme i wanted to follow mm-hmm. into conversation in this question of mm-hmm. why does it matter mm-hmm. And so um, do you remember <laughs> I think so. those yeah. posts? Yeah. And can you elaborate yeah. on them a bit? Yeah. I mean, the, I, th- I think we've talked a bit about context of how I share information, probably as much like as co- for me to be as confident I can, it's going to be through stories. Yes. And, um, you get what you get from a, from a story. <laughs> like you take out what you take out. Right. Um, Good point. so in terms of like, um, being grounded in the land with my son, um, I learned quickly as a mom that it didn't come naturally. 
uh, parenting that is, mm. but that that's not a problem. Yes. <laughs> and so I, I work really hard to like grow in my parenting mm. skills. And I don't mean that to be self-deprecating. There's things I'm really good at and being, um, a mom is not the number one, okay. but I'm growing and learning. And so yeah. one thing that works well with my son is taking him outside. Mm. So everyone knows kids and toddlers are full of feelings and, uh, everything resets for him outside. Mm. And I think I know that because it does the same for me. Mm. It does the same for my husband. And I learned that, um, spending time with students outside and I have like a particular story that I remembered learning and, and thinking, okay, don't forget this <laughs> when I, um, was on a mountain once with students and I happened to be with students that we're in really complicated situations and, and facing lots of barriers in their lives. And we decided to go up a mountain and, um, we got to the top and it had been quite a panic all the way up. Things were difficult. There was, um, yeah, lots of issues facing us as we were climbing up the mountain and there was a ton of snow and we got to the top, um, and actually got out of the gondola and the student that I was with after being very upset, Hmm. just stood and fully face planted into the mountain on purpose. Oh, wow. And the lift person, the sweet young man from Australia, (laughs) was very concerned about this person that just fully sunk into many feet of snow. And I said, no, it's okay. Like, I think she did that on purpose. And (laughs) when she came out, just her face of refresh and of reset of her senses was just... It was so important and, and it really did reset her. And I, huh. and, um, I started to learn lessons about how much time outside and time on the land can serve as a true reset. Mm-hmm. So whether I'm with students, I, I kind of fell backwards into being an outdoor education teacher. Yeah. Um, wasn't what I planned, but it is one of my biggest passions. Huh. And so it works with my students and it definitely works with me and my toddler huh. and my husband that, if things are out of balance or things are, if we're feeling, um, highly sensitive or treating each other in, in a negative way that if we can all be outside, it's a big reset. Wow. That word is so... And I think parents of, of kids would agree with yeah. that. I don't think that's new knowledge, right? but it's a practice for sure. Right. And it's, is the one piece of parenting I'm very confident in. Oh. Um, also because it's easy for, for young people to, give thanks and be appreciative and have so much wonder. Right. Right. And I've now become as like pro bug, which I never ever (laughs) thought I would be. But the way that Paul looks at a worm that's tied itself into a knot and asks me why and how, and what are we going to do about it? And are we going to feed him dinner? And where does he live? (laughs) And all of these things. And just the gratitude that he has for the land Mm -hmm. It makes sense. That's mm-hmm. how I view the land in a larger, like pedagogical or mm-hmm. philosophical ways with gratitude. So mm-hmm. I think that that's why it's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, gather around that word land mm-hmm. a little bit and what you mean uh, by using that word yeah. versus right. nature or right. creation. Yeah. Why does that word feel? Like the word for you. I mean, land is everything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have a a strong conviction about our relationship to the land. And um, land is a gift. Hmm. And everything that comes with it that other people would describe visually, right? So mountains and nature and rivers and all these things. It starts with the land. Hmm. And... um, I mean, it doesn't take long to dive straight into understanding, um, why it's important to acknowledge the land. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I see land as, I guess, the biggest term or idea, um, for any time that we're spending outside, Mm -hmm. but, um, it's a, it's, it's the most important relationship Mm -hmm. I think that we can manage is how we spend our time on the land, how we view the land, um, yeah. And like being, being rooted in, in that idea of gratitude is really mm-hmm. important, but it's an all encompassing word, I guess mm-hmm. for, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
it's uh, it's interesting. I think what I'm maybe bringing of myself mm-hmm. into this theme is uh, my rural Saskatchewan mm-hmm. roots and mm-hmm. having grown up on a farm mm-hmm. on land that mm-hmm. my dad grew up on, that his dad grew up mm-hmm. on, but also uh, maybe in my own learning and my own evolution as a person who's mm-hmm. um, interested in and uh, always wanting to turn towards the work of truth and reconciliation, mm-hmm. uh, starting to, it's almost like uh, sort of scales fell from my eyes mm-hmm. in the last number mm-hmm. of years around who was on the land mm-hmm. before my family was on mm-hmm. the land. Mm-hmm. And I have these images, you know, I have this image of my surname being you know, really present in mm-hmm. our area. My cousins, mm-hmm. lots of cousins, aunts and uncles. Again, this like farming family that had been there for generations. Right. Yeah. And then also a headstone mm-hmm. in a cemetery that just says Sockled on it. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's like the big headstone around all the others. Right. You know, it's like a presence. Yeah. But then I also kind of move in my memory to my grandmother finding arrowheads Mm. and things in the field Mm -hmm. and holding them with some reverence, Mm -hmm. but not being able to like connect story Mm -hmm. until much later in my life. Like, Oh wow. Like this process of sort of displacement Mm -hmm. of that. My family was a part of, you know, Mm. on this land, um, Mm. sort of shaping it Mm -hmm. around agriculture and slowly like getting rid of the forest and the, you know, habitats Mm -hmm. so that more could be farmed, you know, all that like complexity. I feel like I'm kind of always holding in my hands being like, ah, what did you do with that? Yeah, Yeah, totally. Like that doesn't feel good. I don't, you know, I don't like that. I, I, you know, didn't ever have a sense that I wanted to stay on that land. I really wanted to flee, you know, that land and maybe some of its complexity around economics. Um, but I just kind of place that, you know, in our conversation that my own, when I think about land, it's, you know, that word land, I kind of go to like a particular place and then some like different layers Mm -hmm. that I'm maybe, pulling back right in my own relationship to land. totally yeah well if you've if you yeah i mean one very important view um that um that is held is that land could be considered like a mother mm. and so that comes with implications for how you might treat it mm-hmm. but it also comes with with ideas of why you're so connected to it oh wow. so think of it like an umbilical cord or right. a bloodline right that's it's Oftentimes our relationships with our mothers are unexplicable. Right. <laughs> right. We have an attachment, whether it's, um, even if there's struggles, mm-hmm. that's an attachment, right? Even if you're not with your mother, right. there's something right. that pulls you. And so, um, in the perspective that land can be seen as mother, mm-hmm. um, that attachment is there. Right. And for right. some people that don't have, um, a clear attachment to a place that they came from, a physical place right. or a history of family on a place that can mean that other things are difficult mm-hmm. because you don't know the land that you come from. Right. And so it sort of follows that you have this tension in relationship mm-hmm. to the land where your family came from. Mm-hmm. Like we have tension in relationship to our mothers and our parents, right? right. Sometimes flawless and sometimes really jarring in right. terms of, it's not me. I don't fit there. And yeah. I'm not my mother. And right. other times like I am my mother. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so I think that that follows with the perspective. Oh, right. Yeah. And then on the flip side, in terms of, um, trying to pursue reconciliation and this, um, new relationship that Canada is, is looking to do, um, land is at the center of mm-hmm. that and, and understanding the history of land and, and, um, the original people on a land and that sort of thing and treating it as if the, if the perspective or the worldview or the filter that you could look at it was similar to a mother, because if that's not your belief, then that's fine. Mm -hmm. But that would shift how you, how you treat something. Right. Yeah. That's really helpful. I'm going to be thinking about that for (laughs) years. Think of it like a, again, I, I, like I, Mm. I have stories in my head of, of of times where I like getting to know people or young people for 
like they can't explain why they're so connected to a space and they can't explain why they must return to a physical place but it 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 really correlates with a relationship to a mother so helpful Mm. All right, I'm at Weasel Head and it's gooky in the spring, but I'm just here to pay attention to where I am. quite like thinking about the land when it is soft and squishy and malleable beneath your feet. My three-year-old nephew would love these puddles. sort of butterfly with like a pale yellow edge. Name that insect. And brown velvety wings. It's just still on a log. I often think about death when I see a butterfly. <laughs> I think that was one of my first childhood encounters with death in a way that I felt really conscious to the eruption that it causes for the living to witness that which does not breathe anymore. So there's that. Um, Do you have a favorite place when you are like, Mm. I need connection, I need a sort of sense of belonging yeah I mean it depends I I like seeing other people's favorite places oh, okay so I like to go along with people to where they want to go ah. so as many people know my husband is a very avid fly fisherman and to him southern Alberta and the rolling foothills and going down closer to Pincher Creek is the most special place in okay. the world to him. I've made the mistake only once of <laughs> revealing the exact location. Yes. <laughs> we shall not. Because I it. guess that's the thing with five fishermen <laughs> is the secret locations. Okay. But this past summer we had the opportunity to drive through to Castle Provincial Park. And okay. I think it's because I've come to an understanding of the history of that land too. And, and, and more and not expert, but more understanding that, um, Southern Alberta is the traditional territory of Blackfoot people. Mm -hmm. And the more that I learn about that and the more that I spend time with elders and hear that history um, or the history Mm -hmm. and then get to actually physically be there myself, that I think is becoming my favorite. Yeah, just down there. And um, yeah, my son and I spent a lot of time in Weasel Head uh, just in Calgary because of the birds. We spent a lot of time with birds. Okay and watching birds but yeah the more i teach myself or hear from from elders and knowledge keepers and other really special people about the history of southern alberta and then i physically go there i think that's becoming Hmm. where i want to spend my time yeah yeah so yesterday Mm -hmm. i spent some time reading uh shalom in the community of creation by randy woodley Hmm. are you familiar with it it's one of the books that we have in the lending library and he's a writer, public theologian, activist. He has many mm. accolades and uh, Cherokee descendant. And so he writes with an American perspective. But 
right in the introduction, there was a section that grabbed my attention mm. or like thematically mm-hmm. connected to the conversation I was planning for with you and I. So I'm going to just read this and then I have mm-hmm. a question about it. So the land had a story to tell and I had heard several narratives explaining the unique story of the area from the locals and my relatives. Sometimes I would sit alone for hours in the field near a branch or a pond, just trying to hear that particular story. There near cotton fields that were once battlefields, the land spoke to me. And I was so curious Mm. about that phrase, Mm -hmm. you know, that land spoke to me. Mm -hmm. Does the land speak to all of us? And what does it mean for us to begin to develop hmm. an ability to yeah. hear and be open? Yeah, I think there's a couple pieces to that that really like help me to try and hear and remember what the land might be trying to say. And the message that I always return to is gratitude. Hmm. So the land is constantly giving to us. Hmm. It gives us so much, whether it's um, harvesting from the land and turning it into food for us, whether it's um, taking space on the land for where we live, um, where we build, or whether it's recreation on the land, like the land is constantly giving to us. And the intangible piece is, how do I give back? <laughs> but what you can, like what what is always important and what is possible is to express gratitude. Mm. And so I think, again, going back to the idea of this different worldview is that if we can view the land as in, in an equal relationship to us, as opposed to something that is for us to consume Mm -hmm. and take, then you view it differently because you see it, um, as a partner Mm -hmm. and as something you would take care of, as opposed to something that you deserve, right. And as opposed to something that has you're going to take from, but not return to, right? So um, if there's food that you're harvesting from it, well, then how how might you share that food or spread that food? Um, if it's recreation that you're experiencing on the land, then how might you share that with somebody who doesn't get out every weekend, right? So if you notice that you, you have a a crew of people that are avid and they're always walking or hiking or going on these things, like might there be somebody in your life that that is more difficult for, um, be it transportation or fitness or proper clothing, um, or bravery? Um, is there someone you could bring to, you know, if you're taking from the land in the form of recreation, how might you share that? And that that sharing could be your form of gratitude, Mm -hmm. right? So that it's not just yours, but that it's for, others as well. Yeah. Uh, so you root your, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm getting all the language, right. Which is part of what yeah. is so fun about these conversations. Just trying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you root your learnings and your kind of leanings in sharing knowledge, mm-hmm. those two words together. And can you talk more about mm-hmm. sharing knowledge? I, mm-hmm. I didn't really know what to do with that language. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of like how we know yeah we hear the land Mm -hmm. with the gifts that the Mm -hmm. land gives us Mm -hmm. and we reciprocate Mm -hmm. with gratitude Mm -hmm. um sort of where does that knowledge right yeah come from it's a sharing knowledge right and i i i think again sometimes knowledge is so hard to share unless Mm -hmm. it's told in the form of experience or a story okay so the way I've gained a lot of knowledge, again, I have this massive privilege of the amount of time I've been able to spend with elders that is like so precious to me and it's it's always been on land. And so when I'm learning from them, um, it may come across to be that I have technical knowledge, but it all came from a story uh-huh. from them. And then even with friends and family members hearing stories about, you know, people that are from Saskatchewan, I'm picking up little pieces of that that give me historical information and stuff, but it's all just through stories. So mm-hmm. if I'm with somebody or if we're in Southern Alberta and we're talking about the names of rivers and things mm-hmm. like that to um, then share a little bit of knowledge, right? So mm-hmm. understanding um, 
the example that I've talked through with my husband and other people who spend time fishing in Southern Alberta is learning about the old man river. Um, one of the Blackfoot words for old man is Napi. And that's a very sacred, um, that, that can be understood as creator. And so knowing that the, the river, which, um, is a headwater and is very important for the rest of Southern Alberta, understanding that as a true sacred space. When you think of things in a sacred context, then it seems to give more meaning and weight when you then talk about other pieces of it. Um, whether you're, you know, advocating for environmental issues or something, if, um, or clean drinking water or, um, land occupation, once you understand a small history behind a space and, and in particular in Southern Alberta, knowing that it's sacred as the original, um, space and the first space for Blackfoot people, then hopefully that adds a layer Mm. for when people are trying to understand other issues Mm. about why that piece of land is so important. But I only gained that knowledge through someone telling me a story about Mm. that place, right? And so I think, again, in a Western perspective, it's it's so hard to think of knowledge differently because we're used to knowledge in lists and maybe in an academic way and in very consumable organized just tell me what I need to know and I will do that thing I promise like tell me the right thing and I'll do it um but that's not how that's not how knowledge works for a lot of people Mm. um knowledge is so often coming through stories and lived experience um that it it is an uncomfortable shift right yeah. How, can you talk about the role of pace mm-hmm. in yeah in that way of yeah. being in the world and yeah pace uh, is so hard yeah it's so hard <laughs> I have like distinct moments in my life where like in my first introduction to studying the land and um, having the fortune of working in Indigenous education of being so frustrated that I couldn't just know it all mm-hmm. at the beginning. And the discomfort of not knowing and and presenting as a person who doesn't know everything can be really difficult. But if you view that instead as humility and as like a genuine interest in knowing, then a slow pace might become more comfortable. And um, it just, it takes so much time because again, like knowledge is deeply personal. And if it, if it is going to involve physically putting yourself in a place, well, that takes time too. Right. And so I think we have to be very aware, but also cautious of pace. Mm -hmm. And again, thinking about reconciliation and how our country is making these efforts to move forward. Um, that has to be slow Mm. if it's going to be done in a good way. Right. Which is so interesting, uh, that we, I, I can feel that tension mm-hmm. as uh, someone who years ago now mm-hmm. went to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission mm-hmm. in Vancouver mm-hmm. and sat in the mm-hmm. room and took in an mm-hmm. experience I did not even know I was heading towards right. and walked around with it for days, yeah. now years. Yeah. And wondering, you know, I, what year was it in Vancouver? I don't remember, but yeah. I've been in Calgary for five years now. Right. So uh, that how much different Mm -hmm. are we, you know, Mm -hmm. how much have we learned Mm -hmm. since, you know, that kind of exposure for myself Mm -hmm. and the way we, uh, continue to face into Mm -hmm. such complexity of story. It's like, wow. Yeah. This is a long, (laughs) long road. Yeah. Uh, and when it depends like how, I don't know, harshly you want to think about it or Mm -hmm. how, like, who do you want to make uncomfortable in this situation? It, it, it should be people who didn't need to experience that history who should be uncomfortable. Exactly. So that's why our discomfort should be okay. Yeah. Like we almost need to befriend it or see it as a traveling companion with us. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Because when, when you present with that, it means you're also disarming a history of like a colonial way of knowing things right that's like i don't know everything i have so much to learn tell me your story tell me the story 
or don't. Yeah, right. Or don't. Yeah, <laughs> don't. Yeah, you don't owe yeah. it to me. No. I don't. I don't just get <laughs> yeah. to have access to yeah. it. That's and true. I, and the this That's idea true. that um, non-Indigenous people in Canada yeah. could be in a position of um, not having power yeah. um, right. would be a good place, right? right. Because um, knowledge is super powerful, right? And so if we could take in all the knowledge and have all the exact answers we'd likely speed past this time and and then where would we be Mm -hmm. right and and as justice mary sinclair said education is what created the mess and that's what education is what will get us out Mm -hmm. but education it most often will happen on your own and Mm -hmm. that's okay right and right yes you have to read a lot and yes you have to be wrong a lot yeah and then when you have the absolute luck and blessing of hearing from an indigenous person, then you'll get that knowledge too, right? Right. But nothing is owed. Right. Can you talk about circle teaching Mm -hmm. and what that is? Yeah. That's what I have to talk about tomorrow. Oh, this is your, uh, yeah. Yeah. So you're, um, teaching teachers tomorrow. Yeah. And it was some language that you had shared in an email with me. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought, whatever that is, I want to know more about it. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like I was talking about with land, um, circle when I'm, um, particularly when I'm working with an indigenous young people, circle is what makes everything make sense. So if you think about wellness, mm-hmm. um, there can be aspects of your wellness in different parts. So there could be your physical wellness, spiritual, mental, and emotional wellness. Mm-hmm. And and am I mapping that all on yeah. a circle? I'm, Say they each have I'm a, a quadrant. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. So those are all important. Mm-hmm. Um, each of those aspects of your wellness are really important. They don't need to be equal, mm-hmm. but you will notice in your life when one of them mm-hmm. is out of balance or when one of them is abundant, right? When you're feeling exceptionally physically healthy, mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that something else is lacking. There's no problem. It's just that those exist and it's important to notice that there's all aspects. Um, the circle also has to do with seasons mm-hmm. and the necessity of seasons, which not only do we have the seasons that we experience outside, but seasons in our life. Mm-hmm. And the circle has really taught me about that necessity and how we can't have one season outside without the other. Um, just like we can't have a season in our life of abundance or ease (laughs) without seasons of hard work or depression or darkness. Mm -hmm. You don't get one without Mm -hmm. the other. So viewing things in a circle helps, um, to see how they need each other. You Mm -hmm. could say, um, in some tangible ways, the circle relates to directions. You have four directions, which is really important. Um, yeah, I would say it's it's if you if if you use the word holistic, that would be like using a circle. Uh, Similarly, if someone is teaching you through a story, like if you have the encounter where you know someone has an expertise about something and they're going to tell you a story, put in your head a circle instead of a line. And then as they're telling you things, you might be able to plot it around a circle. And sometimes people negatively talk about it by saying, you're really talking talking around the issue. (laughs) You're talking in circles. You're beating around the bush. Like you're talking, but that is a true form of understanding knowledge. And the idea is that I will, I will talk around something either by telling it in a story or, or be, have tangents and have all of this. It's on you and you're going to get from it what you can pull. So if you need to plot something, put a circle in your head and then it sometimes meets up, right. sometimes doesn't. Right. Yeah. As opposed to taking out line by line headings, huh. subheadings, bullet points, and all of that. Of uh. like, oh, at the very beginning, she told this story about um, being outside in this particular place. And now two hours later, she's talking about it again. Like, right. where in my head did that come from? Right. How did we yeah. get there? And understanding that many people you encounter in the world learn that way. Mm-hmm. So again, it's if... If you're interested in reframing what different worldviews are, whether you're going to adopt a new one or Mm -hmm. sit in between two, maybe, Mm -hmm. that um, for many people of a different worldview, things are in Mm -hmm. a circular model. And so 
knowing that when you're sharing information or they're giving information to you that it's, it might go that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, what's firing for me is this moment when I was at Regent, Mm -hmm. uh, doing my MDiv at UBC and, uh, Eugene Peterson Mm. came back to do a lecture and he was quite old Mm. at the time and they walked him, you know, into the Mm -hmm. room and he stood behind the podium Mm. and, uh, he gave, I think a bit of a written, you know, he had written something, gave the lecture and then there was a Q and a, and he, he gets questions He's answering them. But then there was this moment where he came out from the podium and just began to tell stories. So people asked Mm -hmm. questions and they wanted Mm -hmm. sort of three points. Give me a linear answer. But he gave them narrative Mm -hmm. and I loved it. Mm -hmm. I remember being like, this is how I actually answer questions. Mm -hmm. Like this is how I pastor. People might come with a question and I usually go with the story. And so my friend Landon and I, he used to say to me, you just Eugene Peterson to me. (laughs) But what I didn't think about until now is that a lot of Eugene Peterson's writing on pastoring Mm. is connected to land Mm. and his sense of place Mm -hmm. in Montana and Mm -hmm. sort of deciding not to pastor like large communities, Mm -hmm. but to be really connected Mm -hmm. to land and walking and very like located. in a, in a place. And it makes, it's, it's connecting for me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I would wonder what he would have said about that, mm-hmm. but it seems like there it's, it, he knew something of a cycle mm-hmm. of like, let me take you on a journey yeah, and maybe we'll figure out the answer to your question yeah, as we go there. I yeah. mean, even if you just think like, um, if I have something important to talk to somebody about that, involves vulnerability or involves confronting something or I'm experiencing shame about something or I need to talk, I a hundred percent would prefer to do it outside mm-hmm. on a walk mm-hmm. where we don't have to look at the person. <laughs> You're just walking yeah. side by side. Yeah. Imagine all the things you would say right. if there's so many other things to see and yeah. say, you would still get to what you need to say. Mm-hmm. Right. And I've had that experience many times with people where we still confront the things we need to mm-hmm. and share the things. But the fact that either you're cold and it's crisp and that's your distraction or there's birds everywhere and that's your distraction. Everything is so much more honest outside, huh. right? Like you just can't, right? you can only be yourself huh. and, and, and it's so easy to be honest. Right. I find. Huh. Yeah. It's comfortable. It's yeah. So, yeah. Oh, I love, I love that that would make people think back on their own moments of revelation. Yeah, think about it. And then the next time you have to do something difficult, do it outside. Go for walks. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I kind of want to think about our problem Mm. a little bit. Like, can we, can you map out or narrate sort of how to locate our alienation or our disconnection Mm from the land mm-hmm. or what sort of images pop into your mm-hmm. mind when you think about, uh, us removing ourselves or creating distance mm-hmm. or sort of insulating ourselves from mm. the land. What's our problem? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the more time you spend even hands-on with maps mm-hmm. and layers of maps and traditional maps or just explore the maps um, the more you'll see how different the land is that we live on and play on than it has been before. Um, you can look at traditional place names maps. Hmm. Um, so traditional, the, the indigenous names of the places where we are, those maps don't have provincial boundaries. Um, they don't have a lot of what you'd find on a simple Google map search. So that would create a disconnect, right? Of knowing like, well, this is um, what is now called Canada, but before everything mm. else. And I think if you haven't explored it, then you're in this in-between space of like, I know there's something that's a bit off. Hmm. Um, and not that there's shame in in how, how we're living today, Okay, but it's very important to know what was before, hmm. right? And so... Even if you look on Google Maps and you do like a slight scroll out, there's a certain level of 
scroll out where it'll shade yeah. nation regions. Right. So when you scroll just out of Calgary, there's a um, a shaded area for Sutina Nation, which right. is just in the southwest corner. If you scroll out some more, there's a shaded area for Sixaga, which is just east of us, right? And then if you scroll out even more closer to Lethbridge, you'll see the Gaina Nation and the Blood Tribe is huge. Huh. And it goes... What's interesting when you keep scrolling is it it surpasses this American-Canadian border, which is because for Indigenous people, there are no borders. There's patterns of migration and there's following animals and spaces for ceremony. So there wouldn't have been a, a border. And the traditional Blackfoot territory goes into Blackfeet Nation, just south of here, hmm. um, into Montana. It's the same original people, but just that simple... When you're just scrolling out or if you're, next time you're going to Banff or Canmore, scroll out and you'll see the Stony Nation and, and that area and everything that it occupies. <laughs> so I think once you start to spend your time thinking about the places that you are, it is, it is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to understand it as a problem. Mm. Yeah, maybe it's my language It's too big to is... fix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's too big. But... <laughs> But tr- right. just those small pieces of, oh, of knowing. Just re, uh, giving your imagination something yeah. more to work with. Yeah. And then the, the act of acknowledging the land that you're on mm. is so accessible. It's very possible to always acknowledge where you are and to learn the traditional place names and to, um, like the more you say it, the more you know it. And yeah. so just like learn it, say it, and then you'll know it for next time. Right. Um, and it, it again, it's a discomfort, but I don't know that it's a problem because it's where we're yeah. at. Yeah. So okay. Like, okay. That's really helpful. Yeah. Because my brain is saying, well, then the problem yes. are these boundaries that we've yes. drawn. Or, yeah. But that's not, you're not. Well, the problems are so big. <laughs> yeah. That's really. <laughs> the problems are so big. Like, yeah. like. The history of, of redrawing right. traditional territory is a very big problem. Yeah. Um, I have a great story, but I, it's just like popping into my head. <laughs> but um, the history of, of like redrawing traditional territory is a huge problem mm-hmm. because, but that is such a big problem that you, I don't know, I have no hot clue what you would do about that. <laughs> Except to acknowledge that right. it happened okay. and, and how can you live in harmony with the land right. that is a gift for you to live on. Right. It's not yours as a possession. Right. Even the land that you purchased for a home is not yours. Right. It's um, something that was taken from from Indigenous people and who were then resettled onto reserves and um, treaties were signed, but the spirit and intention of treaties was not followed. I don't know what one person can do about that problem, except to know that that is the history of Canada. And so to move forward with gratitude for every piece of that land and history that you're given Mm -hmm. is a small thing, but Mm -hmm. important. If every person did that, if every person actually acknowledged that um, the Indigenous people and the first people in Canada had uh, tradition and culture and land that was completely shifted through the process of assimilation, just that understanding Mm. without the then need to make an action, I think would change everything. But not everybody has that. Right. Right. Yeah. A long way. (laughs) We are, but it's okay. Like it needs to be. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's a problem. It's a big problem, but it's so dangerous for it to be, if it was quick, it's so dangerous. Like it's so, because then it's consumable yeah. and it's a sweet little package. Right, right. And digestible. Digestible yeah. and almost colonial. Like mm. almost like it's such a hurtful word. Mm-hmm. But anything that the like a Western or a non-Indigenous side does to make something that fits them and their knowledge and their comfort and like a way of comfort mm-hmm. and and tries to have that sort of it is power like if you if you mm-hmm. if knowledge works for you then you have power over it and we don't want to get back into power <laughs> so if if it just means that for a long time people are sitting in discomfort that is better than ownership and power mm-hmm. and 
and a quick moving on, I think mm. that would be a huge damaging thing. Wow. Yeah. Discomfort is so important. <laughs> yeah, it is. I kind of want to shift gears a little bit towards a question around, uh, I mean, here we are, I know you from church, mm-hmm. from Christian tradition, you know, and all of the ways we carry that mm-hmm. with us. Uh, and I'm just going to start with this experience I had recently. I was reading uh, G's Magazine. I've been a long time reader of G's mm-hmm. Magazine. And their latest issue is called Dismantling White Theology. Hmm. And in the opening letter, the editors write this sentence, and it just I've just been holding on to it. They say, for us, we make the decision daily to trust that our faith is not solely represented by its violent past. Hmm. And I, it just felt really, I almost feel emotional saying mm-hmm. that. Like, I just felt like, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. like, as a woman who's Mm -hmm. pastored for a long time Mm -hmm. uh there came a point for me where i just thought i refuse to give all of what's so good about Mm -hmm. this over to you Mm -hmm. you know uh, being people who told me i couldn't Mm. uh embody Mm -hmm. the call or the vocation of pastoring i just i refuse you don't get to have the best of this i'm not saying it's all been great yeah but you don't get the best of it and i'm curious about you mm. and how you hold, you know, uh, sort of sacred, mm. these practices of, uh, land and mm-hmm. indigenous teaching and mm-hmm. the aspect of your own Christian practice. Yeah. That's interesting. In you or a part of you, yeah. but still so problematic. And yeah, you know, the stories mm-hmm. that we're facing into. Yeah. Um, Yes, I can think of another story. Oh, I so you and your stories. You are speaking my no, language. Okay. I am. Um, I. This is. I yeah. feel like this is. Yeah, I, I mean, in my own. Them. I mean, just as like a small background mm-hmm. in my own introduction to Christian faith, I um, don't come from a faith-based family at all, so I haven't felt much tension in faith in my life because I came to it as an adult. <gasps> So I didn't have the the common wrestling right. of all those things that kids are taught, yeah. what makes sense as an adult, that sort of thing. I've always felt like the pieces of faith I have, I 100% chose wow. and came to me um, strictly through me in Christ. It wasn't something that I took from someone of influence and then had to make meaning out of. Hmm. So I don't experience a lot of wrestling. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and then I, I mean, I only really, like, I have a very simple faith that only, like, I, I work on the ways that Jesus moves and and pushes me and, and I've never felt an opposition or an inappropriateness for how much I lean into the land as a spiritual place yeah, and how much I, how much time I've spent, um, gaining knowledge from elders. I've never felt confronted in my own spirit. There's definite pausing moments where I decide a certain aspect isn't for me. Ooh, I like that language, but I've never stepped into something and then felt like it didn't fit into my faith. Um, because the aspects of gratitude Mm -hmm. and sharing and, um, being at peace and inviting others into the best parts of your life mm. that all exist for me when in my relationship to the land exists for me in my relationship mm. with Christ. So I've never felt, um, wrong about that. Love it. Yeah. Um, but I do like to do things right. Okay. <laughs> and I, this, I was telling a student this story the other day. I, a long time ago was invited to a sweat okay. and, Obviously, much of what happens at Sweats is, is um, personal knowledge that is not shared widely. Um, the teachings aren't something that really leave that space. But I remember it was my first time being invited to one, and it was really important to me because I'd never been to one. And so I was doing my, like, I have to do it right kind of thing. <laughs> and I was sitting in the sweat. And one thing that's probably really common knowledge for people is that they're hot. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very hot, and they're pitch black. And, um, it was hot and I was sitting there and just like in my thoughts and in the experience. And, um, I had my eyes closed for the most part, 
because it's so hot. And then I opened my eyes for a little bit, but it's pitch black. You can't even see your hand in front of you. And my eyes started to get really hot. And then I realized I had my contacts. contacts. I was like, this sounds terrible. Yeah, my <laughs> contacts contact were lens wears. They were hot. And I was like, these are starting to feel funny on my yeah. eyes. So then I decided it was time to take them out because I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't, mm. I didn't, I didn't, I'm not always rational. And I was like, are they going to melt? What's going to happen? <laughs> so I took them out, but then I had them in my hands and I was like, wow, what am I going to do with these things? This is my first time at a sweat. I was invited. This is an honor. And if I throw them on the ground, they're going to know it was me because I'm obviously not from here. <laughs> they obviously invited me into their family space. I'm the only person who would ditch garbage on the ground. So don't do that. And then I was like, I wonder if I just like flicked them, what would happen? Maybe they would like leave or they would go to a wall and they no one would ever see them again. But then I feared they would land on a rock because there's hot stones uh-huh. and then it would just like grow and turn into this giant contact balloon. <laughs> and then so... I went through all the options, and then in the end, I just decided to eat them. I was going to say, did you eat it? <laughs> I just ate them. Yeah. Because I was like, I don't know what else to do. I'm just going to eat these. And actually, since becoming a mom, the things you eat when you can't throw them out is more and more and more. There's a lot of things that you just you just eat. Because you don't have a, where, anywhere to throw the thing, like old piece of toast. So you just eat it. And, but that was such a moment of like... I need to do this right. Right. And isn't it just funny how mm-hmm. our like strong focus on doing things the right way right. is just fumbling <gasps> and full of error. <sighs> and like that was probably 15 years ago and I'm and I still am fumbling and full of error, mm-hmm. but I've never experienced shame <sighs> for those experiences wow. and I and no one has ever um you know, found my behavior or my knowledge seeking insulting Mm. because I think I'm so okay with the intentions of doing the right thing, like trying to do the right thing, but being very open to messing that up. It's, it's going to land you in a good space. Right. And especially if you're approaching people who have a history of, um, a really difficult history in Canada or have experienced this legacy of assimilation and, and colonization and residential schools in Canada. If, if you come into the conversation and you're willing to fumble and you're not assuming any sort of knowledge of your own, that is so appreciated, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It just creates a balance, right? And, mm-hmm. and gives space for the other person to share what they want. Right. And so, yeah, I just told a student that the other day and they thought it was hilarious <laughs> and we're good. Yeah. <laughs> good. to kind of go back to the theme mm-hmm. of this season which go go going in a bit yeah, of a circle nice. if you, will. Yeah. <laughs> you know why does it matter mm-hmm. you know if we could hold close or bring close to us mm-hmm. some of these ideas that we've roamed around in mm-hmm. the land mm-hmm. why does it matter what comes to your mind yeah um i guess two things one would be if if people are interested in reconciliation, the slow game, hmm. the long, long haul of reconciliation, centering yourself on just knowing the land that we're on would be a wonderful place to start. Mm-hmm. So examining maps, reading the histories, knowing what a treaty was meant to be, mm-hmm. what the reality of a treaty was, that all has to do with the land. Hmm. Um, understanding in, in traditional indigenous ways of knowing and life that land was always an equal and that hasn't been treated by others that way since. So just starting to understand that I think is a really important step for reconciliation. Um, again, knowing the, the specifics of the land that you're on or that you're near um, because for indigenous people, Land truly and naturally and without a doubt is everything. Mm. So that's not going to be that way for non-Indigenous people. It's not the same. But if you want to partner in reconciliation, you have to believe in its importance. Mm. Otherwise, it's not going to work. So if you don't believe that the land is sacred for some, the land is mother for some, the land is equal for many, you have to believe that that's the truth for people. 
Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you can't reconcile mm-hmm. and, and move forward. Not to take it on yourself if it doesn't make sense for you, but that is people's truth. So, um, and then I think land also is our, is how we learn gratitude. And so if gratitude is important to you, it's very easy to learn that from the land because mm-hmm. it gives us so much that, um, yeah, expressing gratitude, um, that's a very natural thing. That's something that everybody can do. And every time we spend time on the land are able to take, um, gain something from it, um, from food or recreation or medicine, anything that, that the land gives us that practice of gratitude, I think is, is a natural thing. So if that, if that's what the land can teach us, then I think that's really good. Mm. Yeah. I think like land acknowledgement should sort of rove with where you go. Mm. And what um, do you mean by that? Oh, well, just like if you're somewhere in different else, places. yeah, if you're somewhere else, then think of it there. And mm. I was just thinking the other day, I work downtown and we are right at the confluence of the mm. Bow River and the Elbow River. Um, the Elbow River in, in Blackfoot is Mogensis, which is the Blackfoot name for Calgary. So even just really thinking about that mm. area, um, we are in Treaty 7, but as mentioned, like treaties, treaties are problematic as well, right? Mm-hmm. So understanding that um, not just are we in Treaty 7, but what is the traditional history behind that area? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really important to, to know the treaty areas and also to know some areas aren't covered by treaty. So if you hear um, other parts, sometimes in BC, you'll hear people say unceded territory. Yes. Yeah, that's that's where yeah. land acknowledgements were introduced to me. Yeah, is my life in BC. Yeah, so understanding like some some land was never given over to treaty. Exactly. So what are the implications of unceded territory, and um, why is it so important for that land to be protected? And then because we live in treaty territory, what is a treaty? And the treaty Treaty Seven actually sits at Fort Calgary. It's a part of an artifact at Fort Calgary. So knowing what is a treaty right. and, and, um, treaty seven was signed at Blackfoot crossing, which is in Sixica, which is just East of Calgary. You can visit it. It's a yeah. historical site. So I think again, people put intimidation on land acknowledgements, but don't let that at all mean that you just don't, yeah. but let it mean that you explore huh. a little bit more. Right. Beautiful. So if I'm in Calgary and I can see part of the mountains, well, who, who are the traditional people from that area? What is stony and what does that mean? And then when I'm looping the ring road, which I'm grateful for, well, what, what did that mean for Sutina people? And then, and then hopefully your brain curls and thinks, well, who are Sutina people? Are those Blackfoot people? No, Sutina people have a unique language and a unique culture and, and just, just let your mind like safely spiral into Uh, those things because it's good. It's a good thing (laughs) to think about it. Um, what I most commonly say is that I'd like to acknowledge the traditional territories and the oral practices of the Blackfoot nations. The Blackfoot nations include the Siksaga, the Bikani, and the Gaina. I also acknowledge the Sutina people and the Stony Nakota First Nations, as well as the Métis Nation Region 3, and all the people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta acknowledging that there's many indigenous people from outside Alberta mm. living here and making their homes here. Yeah. This is a question I've never had the opportunity to ask anyone, yeah. but do you ever see people do something different with their body when a land acknowledgement is stated or read? Like, <laughs> like, yeah, like I, I sometimes want to, you know, almost open my hands yeah. to receive Yeah. or, you know, place my hand on my heart. Like every time, whether I am doing a land acknowledgement here in the community or hearing it, like I feel something Mm. in my body. Wanna Do do you ever see anyone or people do that? So a very common and accepted practice that I, I have been taught from Blackfoot elders and knowledge keepers is a hand to heart. It is. Mm. So you will see, and it's for everyone, Yeah, just a hand to your heart. And that's just, um, the, the Blackfoot word for thank you is a, <laughs> so often like a hand to heart is just like, Oh, I feel that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So hand to heart is anytime that I've received a teaching, 
it's like you're taking that teaching and putting it into oh, your heart. Yeah. And it is just like an acknowledgement of like, thank you. Ah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah. And sometimes you'll see people, if somebody writes something or shares something, you might see it written hand to heart. Oh. And it's just a written expression that some, if somebody can't see you in that moment, okay. that you're telling them okay. hand to heart. Huh. So it's like, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. And I'm saying like, hey, huh. yeah. Hey. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for that. Hi, my name is John and I help Bobby make the episodes for Between Sundays. It's been an honor to once again work with Bobby to produce another set of conversations for this community. We took more time this season to pull our themes and guests together. Looking back, it was absolutely the right call as these were some of my favorite episodes we've done so far. Between Sundays is a production of Commons Church and the Commons Podcast Network. Bobby Sockled is the host and Jonathan Petkow is the producer. Artwork by Angie Ishak. Special thanks to Nicole Scott and all our guests this season for coming to hang out with us. You can follow us on Instagram at BTW Sundays. We're going to send this season out with the end of Bobby's trip to Weaselhead. Thanks, everyone. such a different feeling in my boots to be walking on the paved path, the walking path, the biking path. I love a good path, don't get me wrong. It does feel really different. Set off the land a little bit. It's hard. There's no give. There's a funny yellow line down the middle if that will keep all the order that we need in our shared public spaces. You stay over there. I'll stay over here. I love red willow. I love the color and all the dullness of early spring. Such beautiful red stripes in the forest. That was a long paved path. (laughs) But I'm coming up on the bridge and I'm gonna sit down close to where I started, have a drink of water, and think about the land. That was wild. I could hear that guy's music. Sitting here on the at the entrance to Weaselhead Park. I consider a land acknowledgement. I acknowledge that Calgary is home and place of the traditional territories of the people of the Treaty 7 region of southern Alberta, which includes the Blackfoot Confederacy, comprising the Siksika, Pikani, and Kainai First Nations, as well as the Sutina First Nation and the Stony Nakoda, including the Chiniki, Bearspaw, and Wesley First Nation. The city of Calgary is also home to Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. It's a privilege to play and explore and share and laugh and embrace and breathe and drink and feast and fast and love on this land. A privilege.